0: And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now the Lord Jesus here tells a parable. He tells a story, whether it's about an actual person, whether it's a, a true story in that sense or not, I don't know. Possibly it was, but it's certainly something that has been repeated throughout history. Men or women who had great aims in life, they wanted to get to the top, uh, they wanted to do it their way, uh, and yet they never achieved their purpose. Now I want to say two things uh, at the outset by t- t- to put this in, into context. First of all, Jesus speaks here of a certain rich man. He's not speaking about all rich men, though no no doubt it would apply to a great many. He says a certain rich man. When we get to chapter 16 of Luke's Gospel, we're going to be looking at this this evening, God God willing, Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And he's not teaching there that the, the rich go to hell and the poor go to heaven, But he is teaching there are two different destinations and we all go to one or the other. In chapter 18, after the encounter with the rich young ruler, Jesus says, How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of heaven? Riches can keep us out of heaven itself. But he goes on to say, With God, all things are possible. And as you come into chapter 19, he proves the point by saving a rich man by the name of Zacchaeus. The second thing I want to say is this, that no one here should think, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. Jesus says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of heaven? And we all, to a, a greater or lesser degree, have something of the, the, the riches, something of the, the possessions uh, of this life. I will think a bit, little bit more of, about that as we go along. Well, in this passage, we have a heavenly perspective on wealth and riches. This man is planning to increase his business in order that he might take his ease. And there are lessons here for all of us. What are you planning to do this year, perhaps you're hoping to move to a bigger house, or perhaps you want to buy a new car, Uh, perhaps there's some business deal that you're involved in, perhaps you're planning a a big holiday or a big party, and these things aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but none of us knows whether these things will come to pass. Indeed, we don't know whether we'll be here uh, at the end of this year. I want to look at this passage under four headings, affluence, aspiration, arrogance, and accountability. And if you want another A, there'll be a little bit of extra application at the end. But first of all, we see here that there is affluence. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? His goods abounded. His barns were full. He had plenty. And what about us? Well, I hope that at home we have cupboards that are full of food. Perhaps we have wardrobes that are full of clothes. Perhaps we have money to spare in the bank. There's a certain degree of affluence. Well, was this wrong? Well, the Bible doesn't condemn wealth of itself. Indeed, it teaches us that wealth is a gift from the Lord. And there are lots of examples of wealthy men in the Bible. Abraham was very rich in cattle and flocks. And likewise, Jacob and Job, we're told, was the greatest or the richest of all the men of the East. King David was a rich king and Solomon even more so. And yet these were men of God. And, of course, the the Scripture encourages us to work hard, doesn't it? Proverbs 27, verse 23 says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. Well, you may not have flocks and herds, but we can apply the principle, can't we? We're to be diligent in our work, in our business, uh, in our our affairs. And it says here, because riches don't last uh, forever, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, Do your own business and work with your own hands as we have commanded you. And 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, This we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, in those days, it wasn't just a command. It was probably a fact because if a, a man didn't work, he wouldn't be able to provide for himself and his household. Today, of course, we have the, uh, the welfare state. Uh, and that's a good thing when it's not abused we read in Proverbs chapter 30 of the the virtuous woman and she is commended because she provides for her household she plants vineyards she weaves she makes clothes she sells linen she is never idle well this man here he worked hard no doubt but of course the, the fact that he had fertile ground was a gift from God Psalm 85 verse 12 says, The Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. This man's error was in not acknowledging the goodness of Almighty God, something our society forgets to do perhaps today. Harvest thanksgiving is almost a thing of the past. Perhaps in our churches we still have a harvest thanksgiving, but society as a whole has forgotten it, hasn't it? It doesn't stop once a year to give thanks to God for all the the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. Uh, And what about saying grace at meals? How many households uh, say grace uh, before a meal today? Why was Abraham rich? Well, his servant knew the answer. Genesis 24, verse 35. He says, The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and has given him flocks, and herds, and silver, and gold, and servants, and camels, and oxen. You see, this was a blessing from the Lord. But the Bible does warn us of the the danger of riches. It tells us that it is foolish to trust in riches. Proverbs 23, verse 5, Riches make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle towards heaven conjures up in my mind I'm sure I've seen this on a Disney cartoon actually a big bag of money that suddenly sprouts wings and and flies away Well, we have a saying don't we time flies but but so does money and money is not only unreliable but it can drag us down and Jesus says how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of heaven you're not talking here about the, the millionaires or, or, as they are today, the billionaires or the multi-billionaires of this world. Because, as I say, how many, how many of us here don't have earthly riches in a measure? Who doesn't have a full larder and a full stomach? I suspect that, that most of us have never observed poverty firsthand. But I have a friend who was out in Africa for some time. Uh, And I remember him telling me that one day there was a knock at his door and he opened the door and there was an old man dressed in just a rag and he had a tin can in his hand and he held it out and asked for water. And my friend filled the can with water and gave it back to him and he he watched as the man walked away a little distance and sat down and then he produced a a fork and I think one or two other implements and he, he washed them in the water. He took out a cloth and he washed that out. He washed his face with it and then he rang out the cloth again into the can. And when he'd done absolutely everything else, he drank the water. You see, that's poverty, isn't it? And, and, and none of us know poverty like that. By comparison with someone like that, we're very rich because we have this world's goods. John 1 John 3 verse 17 says, Whosoever, Hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? You see, if we have this world's goods, then it brings a responsibility both towards God and towards others. What did we do to help those in need during 2018? What are we planning to do during the rest of this year to help those who are not as fortunate as ourselves. These are things that we need to think about. We need to get our priorities right in life. The Lord Jesus tells us to lay up treasure in heaven and not on the earth. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And this is the real test, isn't it? Where, where is our heart? What are our priorities in life? God blessed King David in the Old Testament, but but David almost laments the blessing. He says, Lo, I dwell in an house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. You see, God had blessed David immensely. He had given him a, a, a very luxurious, a very rich house made of cedar wood. But David had never desired to build a house for himself, his great desire was to build a house for the Lord. But, of course, he wasn't allowed to do that. That task was entrusted to his son Solomon. But what is our first desire in life? Is it to build for ourselves or to build for God? Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added unto you. Moses in Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, speaking to Israel, says, when your houses are full of all good things, beware lest you forget the Lord. Towards the end of the uh, Second World War, Sir William Doby published a little book in which he quoted that verse uh, from Deuteronomy, uh, and he quoted it as a warning to our nation at the time, when your houses are full of all good things, beware lest you forget the Lord. And he was exhorting the nation that when the the war was over and when God blessed this nation and people had riches and possessions, they were not to forget the Lord. I think that book was almost prophetic, sadly, when we look at our nation today. Well, this man here, he had forgotten the Lord. He had denied the giver. How do we know that? Well, the the biblical definition of a fool is one who has said in his heart, there is no God. And God declares that this man is a fool. In other words, he has said in his heart that there is no God. There is a prayer in the book of Proverbs that I suspect very few people pray today. It's Proverbs 30 verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. And the reason is, lest I be full and deny thee. Well, here was the the, the root of this man's problem. He he wanted to amass things for himself, but he had forgotten the Lord who had blessed him. So first of all, we see that there is affluence. But secondly, we see that there is aspiration. God had blessed this man and now he aspired uh, to greater things. Verse 18. He said, this will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. He wanted to expand his business. He wanted to increase the profits. Well, was, was there anything wrong with that? Should he be idle? Should he ignore the, uh, the, the God-given opportunity that has come before him? Very early on in the Gospels, we we read how the disciples had been out fishing all night and they caught nothing, and Jesus told them to let down their nets, and there was this great draft of fish, the greatest draft that they had ever caught, so much so that the, the, the boat began to sink. And what did they do? Did they cut the nets and let the fish go? No, they didn't. They called for another boat to come and help them, and together they took the catch to shore. You see, God had given them the opportunity and they were going to make the most out of it. And I think there's something very important actually happening there in, in that story because Jesus was about to call these fishermen to follow him, to leave their nets and their ships uh, 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 and to leave their families. And how would their families fare over the next few years? Well, here the Lord makes provision for them through the biggest catch of fish that they ever ever brought to land. And the income from that would sustain their families over the next few years. God is faithful. It's not the aspiration here that is wrong of itself, but it's more the motive. Why did this man want bigger barns? Well, he wants to lay up goods. For what purpose? So that he can eat, drink and be merry. He has no thought for God. He has no thought about how his riches might be used for the Lord or how how he, he might be able to help those who are not as fortunate as himself. It's not wrong to save or to prepare for the future. We see that Joseph in the land of Egypt laid up grain for the future, well, for a specific purpose because God had revealed that a famine was coming. And perhaps we need to save, for example, uh, for old age. It's not wrong to, uh, to, to, to save through a pension or, or, or whatever and to make provision for the future. The virtuous woman in Proverbs, it says, She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She was preparing, she was making provision constantly for her household. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus commends those who invested wisely. Uh, And Jesus says here in this passage that we read, take no thought uh, for the morrow. Take no thought uh, for the morrow. What does that mean? Well, he's, he's telling us not to be anxious about tomorrow, not to worry about tomorrow. He's not saying that we shouldn't take the God-given opportunity to to plan wisely uh, for the future. The Bible teaches us that we have a responsibility to meet our own needs and the needs of our families. And I think the, the prodigal son proves the point here. Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. And we read of the the prodigal son, that he he very literally had no thought for tomorrow. He didn't care uh, about tomorrow. uh, And he wasted all his money on righteous living. And when he ended up in dire straits, he had no one but himself to blame. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, we should should totally ignore tomorrow and live for today and not be concerned uh, about the future. But he's telling us not to be anxious. Whether we have little or whether we have much, We do what we can, uh, and then we simply trust uh, in the Lord for the future. But when we look at this man here, it seems to be more a case of hoarding for the sake of it. Charles Dickens paints a a very vivid picture of of the rich fool in the person of Ebenezer Scrooge. There was a man who was rich uh, and miserly. He was ungodly and uncaring, uh, and he simply uh, amassed money to himself, For no purpose whatsoever. He already had more than he needed. Why did he need to save more? And of course in that story, Ebenezer Scrooge almost comes to the same end as this rich fool, except he experiences a conversion of sorts. I think uh, Charles Dickens there was teaching some uh, very important Christian principles. But the third thing we see here is arrogance. Verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now he hasn't yet built his new barns, but he's already counting the profits. He has no doubt that his plans will be successful, that his future is made. We have a saying, don't we? Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Well, that's exactly what this man was doing. And of course, there's many a business investment has founded and not succeeded. And again, it's his attitude that is wrong. He doesn't acknowledge the good hand of God. He doesn't make positive use of what he's been given. He's only interested in himself. Do we involve God in our plans? Do we seek his guidance? Even in financial matters, that we ought to do that. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says in all thy ways acknowledge him in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths you talk to some people and it's all about what they have done and what they have achieved in life if you talk to a child of God it's all about what the Lord has done and how the Lord has blessed my son works for peacocks the auctioneers And uh, you may know that they've now got a lovely new building uh, on the outskirts of town. Uh, They didn't actually pull down the old barns. They're still there, but they did build bigger. And uh, uh, the business is doing very well, I believe, uh, financially. Uh, It's well worth a visit. If you want to go there on a Friday, you can look around the auction room and see what's there. And you can go up to the cafe for lunch. It's very nice. But if you do go there, make a point of going up the main staircase... And halfway up the stairs, you'll see a big picture of hills or mountains. And it has the text on it. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh even from the Lord. And the owner of that business had that picture made and put in that position as a testimony to the Lord's blessing to him in his business. You see, it's a very different attitude uh, to this man here, isn't it? There are two men in scripture who epitomise the incorrect and the correct use of riches. A bad example is the the rich man we're going to look at this evening, God willing, in that account of the rich man and Lazarus. We're told that the rich man fed sumptuously every day. He was never in need, but of course he didn't have far to go to find one who was. There was Lazarus, the poor man, that laid at his gate And yet this rich man had no compassion for him whatsoever. A good example would be Job in the Old Testament, the greatest man of the East. But he was a man who was concerned for his family, a man who acknowledged the the goodness of God and sought to honour him. In chapter 29 of Job, Job tells us what he was like before all the, the calamities in that story came upon him. And this isn't a man who is boasting, this is a man who, who, who is so afflicted he wishes he could die. He's simply stating this is a fact. Uh, but he says that he delivered the poor and the fatherless. He caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, and he searched out those in need. You see, there there was a man who knew affluence, but he desired to use it to bring a blessing to others. Well, I don't need to ask you which of these examples we ought to follow. You know, we live in a society where more and more people aren't concerned about the needs of others. I remember... A few years ago, we were coming back from a holiday abroad and uh, we were on a plane filled with people who had been on holiday, no doubt spent a lot of money uh, and uh, returning, having had a good time. And the stewardess announced that she was going to be taking up a collection. I think it was for children with polio. And she walked down the plane and she specifically said, I don't want any notes. She said, I'd just like any odd loose coins that you've got in your pockets. Whatever currency, it doesn't matter. And I can't, can't imagine there were many people on that plane that didn't have a, a few spare coins left over. But, you know, we were sitting halfway down a crowded plane, and by the time she got to us, there was only one other person who had put anything into the collection. Doesn't that say something sad about our society? Possession of wealth Is not wrong if it's legitimately obtained. But what is important is our attitude towards it. I remember, I think it was sometime last year, early last year, I was uh, in in, in Luton uh, at an open air meeting and uh, Andy Little was standing at the front speaking. uh, And an old man in his 90s came up to the front and he said, I'll show you God. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handful of money. And he said, This is my God, and it has served me well for for over ninety years. Isn't it sad? There are people like that in our society today. They very literally make money at their God, and we try to remonstrate with that man that he didn't have long upon this earth and he couldn't take it with him, but he was not interested. The Bible doesn't say that money. Is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, it's good perhaps today to hear about some billionaires who are giving away a proportion of their charity, their money to charity. Of course, if you've got 10 billion and you give away 5 billion, you've still got 5 billion left. I don't know what you'd do with that sort of money. But but, but I shouldn't be too critical, should I? It's it's good to hear it in a sense. But but sometimes it does seem like the the rich men in Luke chapter 21 casting their gifts into the treasury with great show. But there's something else uh, here that we need to note. Uh, This man says in verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, I don't think he was speaking to his soul at all. I think he was speaking rather to the flesh. He's not in, in the least concerned about his soul. And today it seems that there are so few that have regard to their soul. I was looking online for, for quotes from some of the richest people in, in the world and they're, they're full, of, full of advice to others about how they too can get rich and what they have done in their life. But I didn't find anything that was worth quoting to you this morning. There's not a uh, a religious thought uh, amongst them, not a spiritual thought. And again, there seems to be that great difference between self-made men and God-made men. When a man looks first to the needs of his soul and he fixes his eyes upon heaven, it makes a tremendous difference. Well, this man, he looks to the needs of his body, he neglects the need of, needs of his soul. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his own soul? And so, fourthly, we see here that there is accountability. Verse 20, God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. None of us knows the day or the night when God will call us uh, to leave this world. We may be young, we may be old, but we don't know when it is. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you know what the death rate is amongst humans. It's it's one in one. In fact, it's very slightly higher because there are those who have died and been brought back to life, so I suppose they've died twice. But you see, we all meet the same end, don't we? Romans 14, verse 12, Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I wonder what account this rich man gave when he stood before God that night. What account will we give when we have to stand before Almighty God? What defence is there? I don't know if you like watching crime dramas on television, but you you know you get this scenario where somebody's been brought in for questioning, suspect, suspected of committing a crime at a particular time in a, a particular place, and they say, oh, well, I wasn't even there. And then they bring out the CCTV footage to show that indeed they were there. Well, when we stand before God, there will be no denial. Everything is recorded. The only possible defence that we can have is that Christ died for me. My sins have been forgiven. They were paid for at Calvary. God says to this man, then whose shall these things be? Some people don't seem to realise, like that man in Luton, that they they can't take it with them when they die. And so the the, the lesson to us here is that we need to use our wealth beneficially whilst we can. The scripture says, honour the Lord with your substance. Now again, it's not wrong to leave something to our children. Proverbs 3 verse 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. But whose shall these things be? That's something we need to decide before we die because we can't decide it afterwards, can we? And I think it's good for Christians uh, to have a will. I think that's quite proper. Well, a final little bit of application as we, we, we close our thoughts. Just want to draw your attention to the, the context of this parable. Uh, it's in verse 15 of chapter 12. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, there are two important messages here. The first one is contentment. The Lord Jesus is warning against covetousness. And contentment, I would suggest, is the opposite of covetousness. We need to learn to be content with the things that God has given us. Some people, like this man in this parable, are never content. Bill Gothard says that contentment is realising that God has already provided everything we need for our present happiness. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Well, if, if we believe, if we know that God has provided everything we need to make us happy, then we'll be content, won't we? We won't be covetous. We won't be constantly looking and striving for more. I found this uh, little story that I thought was quite interesting. There was a rich industrialist who found a fisherman sitting idly by his boat. And the industrialist said to him, why aren't you out fishing? He said, well, I've already caught enough fish for today. And the industrialist said, but you could catch more. And he said, and what would I do with them? He said, well, uh, you could sell them. You could make more, more money. You could buy a bigger boat. You could catch more fish. One day you might have a fleet of boats and you'll be rich like me. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, you could sit back and enjoy life. He said, what do you think I'm doing now? You might think about it. <laughs> but the, the contentment is a great thing, isn't it? The, the second lesson here is concern, spiritual concern. This man was not concerned for the need, need of his soul. And we need to be ready for that great day. Going to sing the hymn in a moment. Pause, my soul, and ask the question, Art thou ready to meet God? Are we ready to meet God? Well, if we know that our sins are forgiven, if we have assurance of heaven, then we're ready uh, to meet God. And what more do we need uh, in this life? Verse 29. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 29. Seek ye not what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you want your barns to be full? Well, here is the answer. God blesses those who put him first. I've already quoted from Proverbs 3, uh, verse 9, but it goes on to say this, honour the Lord with your substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Isaac Watts says, what may be my future lot, high or low, concerns me not. This does set my heart at rest, what my God points is best but the most important thing of all is this do you know where you're going if god should say to you this soul th- this night your soul is required of you do you know where you're going do you know that your sins are forgiven are you trusting in the lord jesus christ i pray that you are amen